This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott. And I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be another great episode with our friend Craig Steele of Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters and OrgHunt.com. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the Arizona uh, elk and antelope draw and we're going to discuss uh, predator hunting and uh, some of uh, Craig's uh, different call-ins and talk about the mountain lions that he's called in and, and uh, should be an exciting episode. I want to thank you guys for supporting this podcast and you can continue to send emails to me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, I, I live and breathe uh, you guys' comments and emails that I get every single day. And I love the questions. And uh, feel free to send me any questions, comments, anybody you want to see on the podcast. And I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, GoHunt.com, Insider, uh, Elk Hunter Magazine, Western Hunter Magazine, Utah Hydrographics, PhoneScope, Outdoorsman's, and Wilderness Athlete. I wanted to go over a couple of comments from listeners. This email's from Chris. Jay, your podcast with Scott Ellis was one of the best so far. Thank you. From another turkey aficionado, he is no doubt a talented caller. I really enjoyed hearing his thoughts on calling sequences and specific scenarios. He gave some great info, no doubt. Looking forward to more great turkey podcasts with Chris Rowe. I'm getting really excited to hit the woods with my boy in a couple weeks, hoping it's this year. Uh, thanks for the message, Chris. Yeah, Scott Ellis is a two-time world champion turkey caller. I'm going to actually have him down. He's coming to hunt with me, Gould's Turkey, here uh, while these, probably this podcast episode is airing. And uh, I'll be hunting Gould's Turkeys down in Mexico uh, with my outfitting down there, Colburn and Scott Outfitters, Gould'sTurkeyHunt.com. And looking forward to having Scott come down uh, and hunt with me. Obviously, having a two-time world champion uh, turkey caller is going to be awesome for me. I'm going to get to learn something, so it's fantastic. Another message from Tim. Uh, Hi, Jay. I'm a whitetail hunter from Maryland. I would like to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. The furthest west I've been is eastern Colorado for whitetails. I love the podcast when you talk about chasing coos whitetail. Thanks for what you do and keep up the good work. Tim, thanks for your message. Uh, we love chasing uh, coos deer, and uh, we love chasing uh, the, the gray ghost of the desert, and uh, we're going to have a lot more on coos deer hunting uh, here in the future, so thanks for that message. Another message from Boyd. Jay, thank you for great content that you put out in your podcast. Your perspective on hunting and conservation is enjoyable. We agree on pretty much everything, and I greatly appreciate the insights and knowledge that you are willing to share. I just finished your podcast with Giannis Patelis, and his analogy of unsportsmanlike conduct from a team sport setting was terrific. Why do people have to act the way they do when it's truly detrimental to themselves and other hunters? No one likes getting someone else's beliefs, traditions shoved in their face if they aren't fond of them. 
Good point, Boyd. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the support of the podcast. Another message from Chris. Hi, Jay. Wanted to say first off, I absolutely love your podcast. As a Midwesterner, you and Randy Newberg have me hooked on coming out west and doing the DIY hunting. I listen to your podcast every day at work and even while I'm out working. So definitely keep up the great work. The three-part series with Brian from Asia Mountain Outfitters is arguably my favorite thus far. I wanted to ask you some recommendations on binos. I put in for Wyoming mule deer tag this fall, so a good pair of binos is definitely something I'm needing to pick up. I'd like to try and go out west every year uh, forward, so planning to use uh, uh, the, I don't know what it says, whatever pair I pick up. I put in for general rifle deer region YDR, so basically central Wyoming. What is your recommendation for a model? I know you do work with Swarovski, and unless I win the $1,500 credit that Western Hunter Magazine is giving away through your podcast, those are probably out of reach. What kind of power, etc.? I'm probably going to go something in the Vortex line, but not sure on what model would be best for all-around Western Bino. I do not have a spotting scope. Uh, keep up the great work producing a great podcast. First of all, Chris, thanks for the message. I think if you're going to hunt out west, you probably want to have a good pair of 10 by 42 binoculars. Uh, I don't use Vortex personally. I use Swarovski, um, but I have heard a lot of good things about Vortex. Uh, Chris, I think you probably ought to uh, get a hold of Cody at the Outdoorsman's. Uh, in Phoenix and tell him exactly what hunts that you're going to be going on and he can probably tell you uh, the best pair of binoculars your best bang for your buck and uh, you can reach him at 1-800-291-8065 they are a sponsor of the podcast and you do get a discount by mentioning uh, the J. Scott Outdoors podcast so uh, give them a call thanks for your message Chris Another message here from Jordan. Hi, Jay. I picked up turkey hunting on my own a few years ago, being self-taught and having no mentor. I've searched high and low for good information on how to hunt western mountain turkeys. I live in Utah. Up until recently, uh, your podcast with Chris Rowe, I have found very little content to help, but the seven-part series was by far the best information I've heard on hunting the west. Uh, I've had some success turkey hunting in the past few years, but mostly I have come home empty-handed. So this year, my brother and I had early tags. We picked up a new area and headed to the high country this week using what we had gathered from your podcast. We were on birds for most of our trip. I called in a bird for my brother on one on day one and a bird for myself on day two. We couldn't have been happier. Two beautiful Merriams at over 9,000 feet. We killed both birds using tactics we learned from your podcast series. Just want to thank you for putting the time with Chris Rowe to make this available and for free. Such practical and useful content. Thanks again. Best of luck on your Goulds hunts. Uh, Jordan, awesome pictures here. I'm going to send you a response by email. Uh, great looking birds and uh, thank you for your support of the podcast. Uh, guys, I want to thank uh, GoHunt.com, who is the title sponsor for this podcast. And if you have not checked out the GoHunt.com Insider, uh, it, it's an unbelievable research tool to figure out uh, the little hidden gems in each state and look at all the different draw odds and the harvest success and all the different charts and 
it's just an amazing resource and I get a lot of people calling me on the phone and sending me text message about uh, joining up for Go Hunt Insider and becoming a member and how much value that they've seen uh, placed in the Insider, the Go Hunt Insider and all the uh, uh, strategy, you know, application strategy articles. And um, it's just a phenomenal resource. The draw odds uh, is second to none. Uh, the, the preciseness and, and all the calculations, it's, uh, it's unbelievably accurate. And I encourage you guys to check them out. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up for GoHunt.com Insider. And you'll automatically get a $50 Kuyu gift card when you sign up. Uh, so just use the J. Scott promo code. And uh, let's get right to this episode with Craig Steele. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Craig Steele, who is a great friend of the podcast, a friend of mine. Craig is the founder of OrgHunt.com. He's a guide with exclusive pursuit outfitters, Predator Exclusives. Craig, how you doing? Doing well. How you doing, Jay? Good. I want to talk to you first today about uh, March 13th. You were out trying to call in some bobcat, and you had another lion come in. Tell me about it. Yeah. I had a client come back, him and his son. They'd been back. Uh, this was their second time to try to call in bobcat. And the first time they hunted with uh, our guy Chris... And then uh, this time they were hunting with me the last two days. And uh, it was the third day of a three-day trip. And we made a long drive down to an area that I'd seen a big tom in about a month earlier. Um, And we set up, and I'd actually seen a a small lion track in that area about a month ago. Um, But we set up, and we were calling a canyon. First two minutes, we had a gray fox come in and um, where we're sitting uh, just uh, the wind channel behind our back usually fox and cats don't care a whole lot about wind but the wind channel must have been settling our scent Um, and because it was early morning the the heavy air down below must have been just gathering our scent really hard because that fox never came all the way to the call and it was a poor call placement on my part um and uh so so i couldn't see that downwind or downhill side for about uh 60 70 yards Uh, about 22 minutes in i turned on a different sound trying to call the gray fox back back in for the kid because uh we're we're we always when we're targeting bobcat unless the client wants something different um we let animals go um as such you know coyotes fox what do you mean you let them go? Uh, just, uh, we watch them come in, and we watch them go out. Uh, is the call still rolling, or do you shut the call off? It just depends. Depends on if they're attacking the decoy or not. Um, but at 22 minutes in, I switched to another sound, um, and I looked up, and there was a cat coming in. At first, I thought it was the big tom bobcat, and then I seen the long tail. seen him from about 500 yards. It was coming down the opposite side on the right-hand side of the canyon, and then it had to cross one little, actually two little small canyons. Came across the first one, then popped up on the opposite side, and I told um, 
the guy and his son that that the lion was coming and to not shoot it. They're from California, um, and I actually got to look up this to make sure it's factual, but I've had two hunters from California say that you cannot even import a, and you may know this, uh, import a legally shot mountain lion to California. Uh, you can't even it, import any part of a mountain yes. lion. Yes. Um, that's, and that's what that um, head of their game and fish got, I believe, fired for, is because he shot a mountain lion in Montana or somewhere, and I'm probably wrong on the state, and that's, I believe, how he got in trouble because he didn't even try and import it, but he went and legally lion hunted somewhere else and got fired for it. Yeah, so, I mean, he didn't have a tag, um, and people may hate me for this or whatever, but I didn't have a tag. Um, and, you know, we were just going to get some awesome footage. The lion went down the, the next drainage. I filmed him. I filmed her coming down. I believe it was a tabby. Uh, coming down and, and almost the same exact line as the fox and uh, I called for another 12 minutes hoping it was going to show up at the call. What I realized is our scent was so strong down in that bottom um, that that I'm pretty sure um, that's my educated guess that uh, she got down there and had enough wind on us and was probably only about 60-70 yards from the call and just again poor, poor call placement on the stand. Um, you make mistakes, and that's how you learn from them. Um, no, it was cool. Um, I, w I wish it would have been a big Tom Bobcat because we'd have killed him. But, uh, yeah, I was a lion, and, you know. You was that their first, their, your client's first <coughs> time to see a lion? Yeah, absolutely. It was their first time to see a lion, uh, and, you know, they knew they knew it was pretty rare. And You know, you when you're calling for cats, um, you know, small lion and, and bobcats, you know, inhabit a lot of the same areas and have a lot of the same tendencies. So, um, not that it's common, but it's not, it's not like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, if, if you're really setting up for those type of animals, um, cats, um, you're eventually, you're going to call one in. Um, and it's just, just a matter of time. So, yeah, no, it was a cool experience. Uh, the kid didn't get to see it. Uh, he actually didn't even believe us, and I told him, I said, let's check tape. So we checked the tape, or, you know, the SD card, and uh, he's like, oh, my gosh, why you guys didn't tell, why you didn't tell me? And, you know, we told him. He just, I think he thought we were messing with him. And actually what I found out is the other guy, Chris, was messing with him a couple days before that, you know, just giving him a hard time. Hey, Miles, how come you didn't see that lion that came in? And so he literally thought we were just we were just giving them a hard time, so. But I, I was real concerned because I didn't want uh, anything being, I didn't want that line to be shot on the call because I mean it's a kid, he might get excited. But I was hoping to get some better footage, but it didn't happen. So. Well, if you go to your Craig Steele's uh, Facebook page, March sixteenth, he posted at ten forty a.m. There's a short clip there, and then you're gonna run the rest of that hunt in the clip on the Hunt for More series. Yep, it will be on the Hunt for More series, and then it should be on PredatorExclusives.com um, and on, on that YouTube channel. But yeah, I can, got some cool stuff. Called in a lot of a lot of great foxes here. Um, actually, got my last hunt of the year tomorrow. It's just a one day deal with a returner. Um, but yeah, got some cool footage of some animals, some cool natural footage. 
of some animals coming into the call and leaving. And I find, man, you learn so much by basically being a trophy hunter and uh, being selective. And I got a couple boxers in here walking <laughs> around on my wood floor while I'm trying to do this podcast. So if you hear toenails. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, you learn so much by, by watching animals, by being selective, by being a trophy hunter. Uh, trophy hunter gets such a bad, bad name in mainstream media. I just I'm sick of it because it is literally not what it's being labeled. And you literally, you become more of a conservationist by being a trophy hunter. You become more selective, and you also learn so much more about the animals you're hunting um, or the animals you're not hunting because you're observing so much more and not just going out there just to kill. How do you think trophy hunters are being portrayed in the lamestream media? Well, you know, I just got our website hacked on PredExclusives.com, which was partly, it it was my fault as far as um, security reasons because I'm the webmaster on that. Um, But, uh, you know, and then like a week and a half later shows up this advertisement from bigcat.org um, on the search term that we get a lot of our clients from or beginning clients from. And it dropped our, our search rankings down to number the number two spot on that. And in the little snippet below, which is the little text below the, the uh, headline or title of the website, said, Learn more about the myths of trophy hunting. And you click on it, and it basically is a full-page, web-page article on why trophy hunters are bad and what they do and their mentality. And, you know, the, the, the mainstream media really, and society for that matter, uh, and I also blame, I, I blame us for what it's come to, to some degree, but the mainstream media, um, for lack of better terms, make it look like we are bloodthirsty and we just solely kill so that we can have that rack or we can have that trophy mounted on the wall and that we have no respect for that living creature um, the meat, the wildlife, or anything about the hunting process. And that, to me, is what I think that Trophy Hunter has been branded. Um, I think, again, to some degree, um, it may be a little bit our fault because as a hunting community, we tend to talk about, you know, antlers and Boone and Crockett score and, and uh, you know, we we take it for granted that everybody is viewing hunting or trophy hunting the way we view it. We, whereas, you know, when we go kill a big bull elk, we're taking care of the meat. We post all the pictures of the of the of the antlers and the you know the grip and grin stuff. I think lately it's starting to change a little bit. Hey, you two. Lately, it's starting to change a little bit. You know, I, I mean, I, I know you post a lot of caping photos and 
Um, I, I think the the new media within the hunting community is starting to be very cognizant of showing the whole hunting experience and showing how hard it is. Um, but it's it's just one of those things that I just get sick of it because I mean that's who I am and I'm not going to hide from it. Um, you and I have talked about it a lot. Um, it's it's just who I am and I'm, I'm not going to hide from it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I hear exactly what you're saying, and I think uh, all people have to do is spend, you know, a couple days with us, and they would realize that what they perceive as us being trophy hunters is totally different than what they perceive. Um, bouncing back to a couple things that you said. You, can, you hear, you use, can you hear these dogs? Let me get these dogs out of here. Sorry. Out. Come on. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, bouncing back to something that you had said, you said the word tabby cat. What do you mean by female. that? Female. Okay, so you just call tabby. Obviously, that's female. I didn't know if it was like a young female yeah. or a certain. I'm pretty sure it was a younger female, but I mean, it could have been a younger male, but head size and body size looked like, looked more feminine, you know, from okay. what I could tell. And what kind of sounds were you using um, when this particular cat came in? I plead the fifth. Just kidding. Uh, Dude, you can't <laughs> do that on this. There's no, you don't have any uh, rights on this podcast. One bit. Um, I mean, you can watch the video and hear it. But what? Cottontail Duet and Platinum Gray Fox. Um, and the reason I don't care a whole bunch about sound is because um, I think 90% of it is um, stand location, time of day. There's so many other factors that go into it. And then somewhere in that list of top 10 things, sound is number 789 because you got to do so many things to even get yourself in that position. It's just like calling a big old bull elk sound is there but you know as well as i do i mean if you're if you're a thousand yards away versus you know a hundred yards away um and you you've been detected at a hundred yards away or whatever else it doesn't matter what sound you blow um that that big bull's on you and the same thing with predator hunting is you know there's there's a lot that goes into it so i don't care about hunting sound i just I kind of jokingly said that because that's the first thing everybody asks anytime I call something in. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost, it's like they're looking for the magic call and the magic noise that just brings them all in. There's so many different factors that go into it that, um, I just think sound is, is super important, but there's so many more important things. Gotcha. So after a day of predator hunting, what do most people do with um, the bobcat hides? That's and do you, do you skin them right away and maybe tell me um, about skinning a bobcat? Oh, that's an awesome question. Um, most guys that, that come or they take a bobcat, they want the bobcat and they want to mount it, um, full body mount. Um, what I do typically, it just depends. Um, on where they live 
um, if they're flying. Number one thing for out-of-staters that, that come and hunt Arizona is you have to have a CITES tag. So I have to go get that Bobcat tag to get it uh, exported out of the state of Arizona. Um, so, so the cat is always left with us or with me. Um, typically when we get back is I will do one of two things. I'll either skin it that night, um, or I will freeze it in the freezer. Um, one of the things I like about freezing it is first off, um, those people that have hunted with me know that I really, it just depends on the client, but, um, if they know going in with a bobcat uh, hunt with me that we're going to work hard and you do get tired um, especially after a three-day hunt so I don't want to be skinning an animal at 9:30 at night um, that that I've got to get up the next day and hunt again so we'll throw it in the freezer and it also kills all the you know any fleas or ticks bobcats are super super clean compared to a fox or compared even compared to a coyote so <clears throat> I don't mind skinning bobcat at all. Um, so yeah, we I, I usually freeze them, and then it usually takes about a, depending on the temperature outside. I usually let them pull them out of the freezer after you know if I have a week break or something like that or a few days break, um, lay them out on the concrete um, and let them unthaw. Um, usually takes a day to a day and a half, maybe two days depending on the temperature outside. Um, and then once it's almost completely unthawed, um, I'll either, I'll skin it out. Um, sometimes we do ship, uh, there's some guys, some taxidermists that like to carcass cast their animals. Um, and so sometimes we do ship them frozen to a taxidermist. Um, and I just did that recently. So, um, and where that's where I don't skin the animal at all. Um, and then... As far as fox, you know, usually there's a lot of guys that want to get one of each species. There's even guys that want to get coyotes. Um, the coyotes that um, we do take that guys don't want per se, um, I do have a local retired guy who for his um, basically supplements his income. So I just donate the fur to him. So I just say, hey, Tom, you want these? going and bringing to him and Tom's got extra money that uh, pays for food and his utilities so um, it's a good deal nice let's take a quick break here tired of relying on out-of-date numbers spending too much on hunting consultants and seeing too little results with go hunt insider the old way of doing things is over with the introduction of Draw Odds and Filtering 2.0, you'll have access to the most accurate, up-to-date information in the industry. You can filter by state, species, trophy potential, weapon, specific days or months of the year, harvest success rate, male-to-female ratios, and much more. All of this leads to easily finding the best hunt for you. So what are you waiting for? Visit GoHunt.com Insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, 
and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. Specifically, Craig, uh, on a bobcat, walk me through uh, when you're skinning a bobcat, how you actually skin a bobcat, where you start, and things to watch okay. out for as you're skinning. Okay, uh, so first got to identify, does the guy want it for a fur, um, like to hang on this wall for, you know, basically to be stretched, to be sold? Um, does he want it skin, case skin, or tube skinned? Um, does he want it that way? Um, and then, or secondly, does he want it for a full body mount? And then always consult, you know, ask the guy to talk to his taxidermist. How does his taxidermist want it skinned? Um, most of the guys um, that want them full body, um, it's a dorsal cut. Um, so it's just like skinning, you know, uh, any other dorsal cut animal. It's uh, you take and go from the Explain back. Explain that back. dorsal cut. It's basically up the back is what it is. Um, so you go, you insert your knife on the back side of the leg, just past the pad, and you draw a straight line, usually on the color phase, where it turns from white to orange or white to gray. You follow that up all the way to the rectum, and then the opposite side, you do the same thing. Um, and then you will chase up one side of the tail um, and draw a straight line down that animal's back, down that bobcat's back, same thing for coyote fox. Um, and you go all the way down to basically um, probably about an inch or two below their ear line, and then you make a V. Um, from that incision, um, to the back base of their ears, not going too far, and you don't want to go into their ears because um, their ears are basically cartilage. Um, and then, uh, just to be clear, you are cutting on, along the spine, the spine of the animal. Yep, the spine okay, of the animal, just like you would a deer. Just like you would a deer. Um, okay. And uh, so then you you know you just skin out the back leg. I like to. It just depends. Um, sometimes I like to, on full body stuff, on um, the dorsal cut, I like to skin them on the ground just because it feels better to me. Um, and it feels like I can handle that animal better with that cut. Whereas if I'm case cutting, um, I like to hang them up or tubing, I like to hang the animal up. Um, so going back to the, the dorsal cut, um, you after you get it to behind the ears, Okay, so you basically have two cuts, one down each leg, um, to the to the anus or rectum, follow up one side of the tail, get on that spine line, go all the way to the you know an inch or two down the back back side of their uh, neck, V out to the ears, don't go don't cut to the base of the ears, um, and then from there I like to do the front legs. So it's the same thing on the front legs as the rear legs. You find their pad. You get don't get into their pad. You follow a color line, chase it up the inside of their leg to um, their armpit. Do that on the opposite side as well. Knife blade up, and then from there I have all my cuts that I've that I've made that 
uh, I can kind of connect the dots, so to speak. So then I just start skinning the back legs. Um, I'll skin one side first. Um, usually the side that I chase the, the tail on. Um, I'll skin that out. And a lot of times on, uh, on bobcats and fox, especially, even coyote, they're thin-skinned game. They're not heavy like an elk. Um, they're, they're not heavy even like a deer or antelope um, or medium like those. They're really thin. So you can pull pull the skin back a lot more than, you know, you don't have to cut as much. So, so in other words, you're, you're, you're peeling. If you're right-handed, you're cutting with your right hand, but you're peeling and pulling with your left hand. Yes, and you can peel almost their entire belly. Once you get those legs skinned out, you can pull that hide down. And and occasionally what I'll do is if I if I get one side started and then I flip it over and I'll get the other side started, sometimes depending upon, to be honest, my mood, um, I'll hang them back up by their, by their hawk um, or their leg, um, and then I'll, I'll finish pulling out their belly because um, you can pull that that hair off really easy and then you just go down to um you know you can go down to their their jaw and you can um trim that away and you can twist their head off um some taxidermists prefer you most taxidermists want to do all the skinning themselves to be honest with you but if if so that's why i advise you to make sure you talk to your taxidermist first because he mounts based on you know, basically he cuts based on how he likes to mount the animals. So, um, but you can pop that head off. And if you're going to skin out the face, don't pop the head off. Um, because you're going to, after you have all that hide pulled, you're going to pull on that and use that as leverage to basically cut more, you know, continue to skin that face out. Um, you skin that face out all the way down, you know, to their lips and it's just like a um, little different than uh, at that point it's easier when you get to their face than an elk or bighorn sheep or antelope because you don't have the antlers to deal with. The horn, the horn yeah, pedicles. Yeah, you, the antlers or horns. You don't have those, you know, and that's the biggest headache on, on those animals. And case skinning, um, it's, it's, Exactly the same thing as, as dorsal cut in the back. Go down to the anus, uh, and then you make a straight line incision, and then you just basically at that point, um, you can even, um, if you don't want the feet, which feet aren't neglig are negligible on as far as for um, cell of fur, so you don't need them, you can, after you make those incisions on the back leg, you can just skin around or, or or cut around that leg below the feet um, and then you can go to your your front legs as well and make an incision all the way around that 360 on both sides um, because you you don't need the feet um, unless you know now if a client requested hey I want to have my feet as well then I'll leave them on there um, but you just make that incision in the back on case skinning and then you basically just pull that peel that hide off and that's why I like hanging it up because you can get a little bit more 
Western with that pulling that hide off that animals. Uh, basically, uh, I think it's the it's the layer of skin versus the versus the muscle or the fat. Some of these animals will have fat early on in the season, but as the season goes on, um, a lot of their fat is burned off. Um, so it's it's one of those. How you you need how to fast do can you skin uh, a bobcat? Actually, not that fast. Um, I'm not that fast. I'm I'm pretty slow skinner all the way around on everything I do. Uh, what does that mean? Um, not that okay, fast. Okay, so a full body dorsal cut will probably take me 45 minutes to an hour. So so you're you're very particular and you try and do it as good as you yeah, possibly. man. Because I mean, you know, you want taxidermists. They're the ones that are the experts on that. I mean, I know we do it too, but they're the ones that get to deal with the. Uh, the messes and I just I I try to be very very cautious. Case skinning a bobcat is a lot quicker, so probably thirty minutes. Uh, so Craig, I've never skinned a bobcat for mounting, but I would think I've just never mounted a bobcat. But I would think, and and I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I would think that if if the bobcat is laying on its back, belly up, that you would cut on the on the back legs along the color line down to his butt across and then you would kind of peel it and then you would just peel the whole cut uh the, the whole bobcat down you you can do and, that and so to hear you say cut along the dorsal just shocks me i've never done that that way yeah. because you would think yeah they have long hair but isn't the best way to to have the best cape you know, or, 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 or skin with no cuts, wouldn't it be to just, just, well, what is that called? Is that, is that what you're calling case skinning? And, and the reason, yeah, that is a case skin basically for the most okay. part tubed. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So now, in other words, know, I, I would think you're cutting along the back lines, you're, you're, you're peeling the tail and then everything basically just peels down. Yeah. And, and then there's no cuts in the hide except for on the front, uh, uh, pads you know a little incision but then as you peel then you just peel around and then right above where their uh joint is in their quote unquote ankle or whatever you would call that wrist um you know you'd cut that and then the actual paws would come out and the, re- the reason i said you asked your tax terms i just hunted with a guy that his biggest thing is doing small predators that's what he does and he likes the carcass cast them um, and he's going to go compete at the world, um, whatever taxidermist competition this year. He's, he's does great work. Um, and I asked him, I said, Mike, how, how do you do yours and how do you want yours? First off, he wants to skin them himself. Um, and then secondly, he said, um, when I do them, I dorsal cut them. And the reason why his carcass cast a carcass cast is basically he measures that animal's body, um, takes all the measurements, and he forms his own mold or own uh, form based on that animal's size. So when he uh, when he is mounting that animal, and you know there may be some tax are like, oh no, Craig said it all wrong. When he is mounting that animal, it's the animal's exact body size. So that's why, from what I understand, why he likes the dorsal cut. Because he has to sew that animal up from the back, and he's 
is very meticulous on how he sews that animal up. So that was his suggestion. Now, there may be other taxidermists that want them tubed, um, but it, they, they, you know, I think tubed, and this is just my uneducated opinion, it just seems like if you're pulling that bobcat onto a form, and we shot, probably shouldn't even be talking about this because we're not taxidermists, but onto a form, that form's going to have to be smaller than that animal's actual body size because he's going to have to have room to pull that tanned hide um, onto that. So that was one of the reasons why I started talking about the dorsal cut because um, this taxidermist, um, that's what he prefers, but he also prefers to do it himself um, because he wants the lines to be super clean. So always yeah, consult your taxidermist. Makes sense. Uh, I think that's great stuff there. I think people will find value in that and um, appreciate you talking about that. I want to jump to another subject, um, and that subject is we're here late March, early April, and here in Arizona, credit cards are about to be hit, and Everyone I know is freaking out, wanting to know what they drew, and it's always a crazy time. Um, my anticipation for this time doesn't seem to be near as uh, passionate as it used to be. Not that I'm not excited, but it just seems like people get crazed up over this, you know, and they, they, they stop any productivity at work, and they all of a sudden are checking their credit cards 40 times a day, and it's like, Goodness, it's going to come out when it's going to come out. But um, what are you thinking? You think it's going to be this week? We're we're doing this podcast on the 22nd of March, and if you look at years past, it's been you know 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th when it comes out. I it's going to be when it comes out. I guess I don't know. I mean, I know it comes out sometime, probably this week or next week. Um, when it comes out, uh, you know, people. Are, I always analyze it, and I used to do this when I had nothing better to do than to just sit there and, you know, check my credit card balance, but I'm trying to do a number of different things, so I just, I, if I draw, I draw, so sometime in the next two weeks. You did get me yesterday, though. You sent me a text that said, I drew elk, and I immediately didn't fall for the bait and said, liar. Well, then Dar called me out of the blue. And I had to give him crap because he he automatically believed me. <laughs> well, because I for, I texted for the record, him and I, I said, was got first. Somebody sent me a text, and so I went and checked, and then there was the ha ha. And so then I used to do that all the time. So I really appreciate that the first person you thought of was let's let's see what Jay's doing and razz him a little this morning, make sure he's on you know on alert. Yeah, I have I have you know to, it's one of those maybe it's because I'm getting older, going bald, getting gray, whatever. But I it's like one of those deals where there's nothing you can control. Um, so it's like. I worry about what you can't control. So either the charges will show or they won't. Um, you know, I don't, I'm just, I'm not stressed about it. I'm with you. Let's take a quick break. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. 
photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at PhoneScope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the JSCOT promo code to receive 10% off any order. Okay, getting back to the credit cards being hit. Um, interesting, with the credit cards being hit, the deadline for New Mexico's application is tomorrow, uh, March 23rd. And I have already applied for Utah. I did... I have 16 points for elk, actually 17 points for elk, um, and I applied for beaver archery, which my points don't really do me any good there because they only give one non-resident elk permit. I put in for Arizona for archery elk. I have applied for New Mexico. You put I in for Arizona? Yep, I put in for Arizona, and... Um, I'm trying to draw unit 23, and I put in for New Mexico as well. I put in for 16D second hunt, uh, 16D first hunt archery, and then unit 17 um, for the second hunt, uh, you know, the later dates, and we'll see. Maybe I'll draw three elk tags, and um, who knows, and that's not even including Colorado yet, which will be due in April, but... Um, question for you about people applying out of state and before we went live on this episode, um, sound like you just cut your finger off my chair. No, I didn't break it. My, my, anyway, just go. I didn't break it. (laughs) Sure. You didn't. Um, Hey man, quit making fun of the fact that (laughs) I'm down to two thirty five. Go. Nice. That's great. Um, people seem to, well, there's some that just apply for their home state, and I think, you know, that's great. Um, and then there's some that apply in every state, and I think that's great too. But it seems like there's kind of a disconnect between some of the group there where they're like, you know, I just hunt my state and da-da-da-da-da. And, man, I'd, I'd like to think that there's a lot of, cool adventures. I've been on some great adventures out of state that's totally out of my element and, you know, kind of get to get out of what I know best and, you know, try something new. And I was just curious about your comments on that. Uh, Man, I, you know, I've been preaching on this since for, for a while now, since probably about 2010, 2011, I was late to applying out of state. I've been applying for, I think Nevada is the longest state I've been applying um, for out of state tags or the law the state that I've been applying for the longest that is in Arizona. And, you know, I used to always have that poor me attitude and just getting out of that mindset of, of, uh, there's so much more than just your home state to hunt. 
And, you know, it's going to get harder to draw the best tags, no matter what state. So in my opinion, whether you go DIY, unguided, whatever you want to call it, guided, whatever you're looking for, if you want quality experiences, you're going to have to have uh, your hat or your tickets in the hat in multiple places. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, I understand everybody has their own individual budgets, their value systems that account for where they spend their money. Um, that that's all, that's all independent. That's all. I'm just talking with a paintbrush here. Um, if you really look at it, they're not growing more land and they're not growing more elk. They're not growing more antelope in the state of Arizona, state of Nevada. So if you want to hunt better hunts more often, you better start applying for multiple states. And, uh, you know, I just, I get tired of people looking at non-residents like they're the enemy. And because, uh, I know Randy Newberg, and I know a lot of people know he talks about it. He goes, I'm, I'm a non-resident in 49 other states. And people kind of hang their hat on that resident. This is mine and this is what we do. Yeah, the, the, the animals of Arizona are in the public trust doctrine um, given to or, or uh, we, we are basically the ones that say what happens with Arizona animals. Nevada is the same way. All the other states are the same way. But, man, get out of that mindset. If you... If you truly look at what you spend, where you spend it, um, you know, you need to understand it's just not going to get any easier to draw a Unit 9 archery bull elk. Just look at the numbers. Um, and people want those better hunts. The, the hunt numbers do not lie. Supply and demand does not lie. It's just the way it is. So I hate people complaining I try not to complain anymore about not getting drawn, about this and that, because, man, there's so many other things I could complain about. And, you know, when I drew my Utah Archery Bull Tag in 2013, um, it's like I had people like, you paid $800 for an elk tag? And it's like, shut up. It's not your damn money. You know, I mean... It's it, people want to sit back and just analyze and piss and moan, and it does nothing for them but put them further behind in whatever it is they want to achieve. And I just get sick of that mentality, that that poor me, poor me, middle class, forty five year old white male that's never had anything go his way when he lives in a three thousand square foot home with a toy hauler and lifted truck and a side-by-side it's like gosh dang as our man gary v says you won you won the lottery you're born in the best country in the world so you know i just if you don't want to apply for out of state that's your problem you know not mine i uh um, going back to where we have where we applied since you said it i'm going to disclose where i applied um arizona uh for the second year in my life i applied for rifle only um, for elk, um, that's because that's the time frame that probably we're going to have the least amount of clients, and that if I draw it, um, I could possibly go get it done on a big old bull in just a few days. 
Um, I can piss and moan about the life I've chose, but that's what I chose. And well, you are a multi gazillionaire. Yeah, I'm just just rolling in the dough. Um, and and then I applied for a muzzleloader antelope tag. Um, and then in Utah, I'm in the waiting period for elk, so I couldn't apply there. Um, and then I applied for the Pentagon, one choice um, for deer. Um, I will apply for Nevada elk, deer, and sheep. Um, I'm not sure if I'll apply for New Mexico and Colorado. I will probably just buy a point for mule deer. Wyoming bought a point for mule deer. Um, and so that's my application strategy. Um, there it is. So, you know, I think one of the things about Utah that I think is spectacular, and in my mind, I don't know how people can't apply in Utah, and that's the fact that $65 license and $10 per species, you don't have to float any money until you're drawn. I, I, I just don't, you know, I can understand New Mexico where you have to float the money up front. You know, I just paid, what was it, $3,100 or something to, to just apply for sheep in New Mexico. And I want to say the elk is like $800 or something like that. But I can understand that, not having thousands and thousands of dollars to apply. But, I mean, there's no reason not to apply in Utah. Utah, you pay 65 bucks. I mean, people, well, yeah, you got to eat the $65 every year. That's the hunting license. It's like, I know people that blow 65 bucks in, you know, one hour in, in, on Friday night going out with their buddies and they don't even think twice about it. You know, when I, it is, it's just ridiculous. It's, but you know, it's all, it's all individual, you know, and that's where, you know, it's all individual, what you, your value system, you know, you look at somebody's value system or where they're spending money, that'll tell you what they really value. And we all try to hide it and say how much we want to hunt or we want to do this or we want to change the world or whatever. And your money really put your money where your mouth is. And that's, that's the truth of the matter. And, you know, I can remember in 2013, I was broke, man. I was freaking broke. And, um, I went up to Utah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have money. I barely had money to put fuel in my truck. And, uh, and that was on a credit card. And I, I mean, I, I literally I ate like crackers and I just told my wife, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go hunt this. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give, give it a shot, 800 bucks, you know, and yeah, I did that. I did that, you know, don't tell the wife is 800 bucks for a couple of weeks, but then, you know, my wife knows me. She has, you know, that's, that's, that's our gig. That's, you know, that's the only person that I have to answer to is my wife on what I spend when I spend it. And she knows me. Um, and man, I ate crackers and peanut butter and, you know, that's it. I didn't go up there to, you know, bring a bunch of friends. I didn't go up there to entertain anybody. I wasn't even going to take my parents with me. They're the ones that were like, oh, we want to go. You know, we want to go. And and it was a blessing that they were there. But on the same token, I was prepared at that point in time to hunt that, making barely any money at all, um, trying to run a magazine business, guide a little bit. Um, this first year Lee and I had EPO started and 
it was it was freaking super stressful, but you know, found a way and got it done and you know, so there's a will, there's a way. It's all in what you want to sacrifice and you know, I just get tired of middle class white males complaining. So just either and, and complaining, you know, that everybody else has it better than what they have and it's, you know, to further your point there's so many people, whoever you are out there, there's so many more people that have it worse than what you have it. Um, I think we always need to remember that. Exactly. And, you know, going back to that, that statement, I get tired of middle class white males complaining. And the, the reason why I use that demographic is because I'm in that demographic. So I feel like I'm entitled to use it. And also... Um, when I say that, I'm also talking to myself because I've been there and I look at myself and I honestly, when I, when I've done that, I honestly want to punch myself in the face because that is just hinders your growth as a person, as a hunter, whatever you want to do in life, looking at yourself in that mentality. And that's, that's why I say that passionately. It's not to single anyone out. So if you're hurt by that statement or if you're angry by that statement, you know, look yourself in the mirror and decide. And if you don't want to put in for out-of-state tax, then don't. You know, you don't have to. No one's holding a gun to your head. Yeah, good point. I want to talk about, I'm bouncing all over the place today, but I want to talk about with the Arizona elk and antelope applications being, you know, our credit cards being hit and we're about to find out what we get drawn for. Um, we have had a dry February and so far a dry March. And I'm just looking here on one of the things I really like about GoHunt.com Insider is the um all the different data here, but if you look at the historical precipitation and you click on that chart for unit 10, let's just start with unit 10, and it has basically the last five years, and if you go back to 2012, in 2012 in January, there was only 0.33 inches of moisture compared to 2016, in, in unit 10, same gauge, you've got 1.7 inches of moisture in January compared to a pretty good antler growth year in 2012 of 0.33. Then you compare February of 2012, 0.47 to the 0.19 inches of moisture in the same year. And it's just interesting to see that you know, I, I, you know, we always speculate how antler growth is going to be. And one train of thought could possibly be that we had some, you know, pretty good storms in January, some pretty good snowfall, and then it's been dry. But, you know, maybe get an early green up if we could get in, you know, a late March shower, you know, get some April showers. It, it maybe could be pretty good i was curious if you could weigh in on that yeah man first off the gohunt.com precipitation stuff is is pretty neat um you know at first i was like oh man look i don't know about this deal and um 
but then, you know, I was really looking at it over the last month. Um, it, it's actually pretty dang neat. Um, as far as what the impacts are, just talking about Arizona and, and looking at this, it, I think there, I think you and I both agree that there's a lot of different factors. And so we just look at a few, um, as far as the precipitation being one of them and, from from the numbers and from looking at it from beforehand, January was a fairly wet, cold January. February was extremely dry and warm. March was extremely dry and warm. Um, and like you said, the numbers look like. And I look at I look at the drought maps too. But the but looking at this, the numbers are very similar to a 2013 which was a a a little slightly below average antler growth year as a whole um, in Arizona and so the numbers are very similar um, one thing I know and I know we were talking about this earlier and, and bring it up now is how about how about the impacts of the lackluster rut last year um, and there there could be some impacts there just because the rut just didn't seem as hard and maybe it was and and you're talking elk i'm talking elk um and it seemed like a lot of the bulls late season that we hunted were in pretty good shape um and there was less antler breakage um and, and it just could have been what what we hunted but um, I wonder what impacts that, you know, how, how much impact that's going to have going into this year. Um, it's definitely well, it's definitely not 2015, 2005. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, it's it, yeah. I mean, I'm looking right now at this. I've switched over. I'm now on unit nine on the go hunt precipitation chart, and I'm I'm looking at. Um, October, November, December moisture of 2015. So this last fall's moisture and, you know, 2.48 inches in October and 0.73 in November and 0.77, we're talking in unit nine, yeah. compared to 2012, which was a, a pretty good antler growth year. And you've got 2.48 inches in 15 in October compared to 12.30. You've got November at 0.73 compared to 0.06, and you've got December of 2015 of 0.77 yeah. compared to 0.46. Well, you know, pretty good fall moisture going into this winter. And my question, you know, I, the thing I'm looking at is quite possibly they could have gone into this winter in better condition than they did yeah. in 2012. Um, that's it's pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, thirteen was kind of a rough antler year, and if you look at the fall of twelve, maybe that's one of the biggest indicators um, going into it. Yeah, no, definitely that that all adds up, and you know how to quantify it is tough. You know, I mean, predominantly we 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 look at February, March, April as the big months precipitation. We know if we get big rain precipitation. In, in those months that, you know, we automatically assume that we're going to have great outlet growth. But there's so many of those other variables that you could throw in there. Um, 
and I don't know, Jay, you're exactly right. I'm looking at it too, 2.48 inches in October. Yeah, I mean, we had a we had a good October, November, and December as compared to a lot of the other recent years. Um, in, in some of the areas that I've been out in, um, predator hunting in, um, 18A and, and uh, a little bit of 10, um, a little bit of uh, 18B, um, it, it doesn't look bad. Um, it's not great, um, but there's browse looks pretty good. And and also tank water, catch water, um, looks fairly good. Um, and that has to be from some of the October and January stuff. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't think it's alarm to panic. Also, you know, you and I were talking about it. Um, of course, you know, take it for what it's worth. You guys know we're talking about meteorologists here, but, and they got El Nino. We don't know if they got... I don't know. I haven't analyzed that, but the El Nino wasn't as strong in Arizona as what they thought it was going to be. But they're calling for the uh, three-month outlook and one-month outlook is calling for 33% above uh, normal uh, probability of precipitation, um, and that was made March 6th, 17th of 2016. So um, all is not lost. Um, even in the uh, worst drought year of all time, there were some big bulls killed in 2002. Um, so um, it's, it's, I, it's, it doesn't seem right, Jay, like it's going to be a horrible year, but it's definitely not an off-the-charts type rah-rah 2015-2005 year. Is that yeah. your feeling? Yeah, I mean, but I think... You know, May, June is, you know, typically some of the driest um, times that we have. And then, you know, we come in with just early, you know, mid-June to late June, just bomber early monsoons and July blows up, you know, and we have a great monsoon in, you know, early June, or excuse me, late June, early July, things really get cracking. You know, they could finish off really good. And, you know, if we get some April showers, I think it could be, if you look at the fall moisture of October, November, and December going into, and not a bad January, yeah. I think, I think you know, if Dar said yesterday, is like, it's going to be a horrible elk year. I, I, I don't know if I agree with him on that. If you come I, I don't back know here that, and you look at Go Hunt's April precipitation for 2016 and you guys see that it's an, at an inch um it's it helps out a lot you know what i mean well i i'm looking at unit 23 right now and looking at the 2015 you know fall moisture of you know go back to july and it goes 4.25 august 3.92 september 2.19 october 3.88 in october 1.66 in November, 1.48 in December, yeah. 2.8. I mean, it's it's off the charts. Yeah. So I mean, that unit. Hopefully, I I draw a tag, but that unit. That's good for right browse. there is great for browse. Yep. And if you click over here to unit one, um, unit one, you're at. I mean, look at this. Unit one, 2015 in in um, July. 
I don't know how this could be possible, but it says 14.44 inches, 9 in August, 5 in September, 3 in October, 1.62 in November, 1.88 in December, 1.69 in January. Um, unbelievable moisture when you compare it to the fall of 14, the fall of 13, and the fall of 12. Yep. Um, you know, so it, it's uh, pretty awesome stuff there. So I guess time will tell, and uh, it's, it's it, you know, it's an exciting time. Uh, hopefully uh, everybody draws their elk and antelope tags that they're, you know, that they're chasing, and, and um, hopefully it's another great year. I mean, um, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yep, definitely. So... Yeah, well, um, what you got a pre- you got a predator hunt your last predator hunt of the year tomorrow? Yep, tomorrow last unless you know something different changes, but yeah, last predator hunt of the year is tomorrow, and then uh, just uh, be prepping for big game hunts and doing website stuff. My hoodlums are up, and I can tell they're being noisy. Um, <laughs> So. Well, buddy, I want to thank you for coming on. As always, thanks for your insight. And um, make sure to check Craig out on his uh, Facebook. Uh, but don't Craig check Steel. me out. Check my stuff out. If you check check me his out, content you're, out. You're going to be disappointed. Yeah, don't check him out. Check out his content. Uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, at Craig Steele AZ, Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters on Instagram, Predator Exclusives, uh, OrgHunt.com. Uh, obviously the hunt for more series is something that everybody looks forward to. So, um, keep up the great work, buddy. Yeah. Keep it, keep it rocking. All right, bud. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Utah hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors, whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 6 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product.